Happy summer in Philly and welcome back to Love and Grit. I'm Laia. And I'm Justin. Today's show focuses on two women taking arts and culture to new levels. Nikisha Bailey is all up in the music business, making sure all things are fair and equal while making sure we are caffeinated in all the right ways. Also, Denise Froman is one of the most decorated poet educators in our city, and she continues to create safe spaces for Philadelphia teens to discover the power of their voices. These two dope women are coming up on the show. Before we talk to these lovely ladies, mm-hmm. it's summer, summer, summertime. Oh, okay. Look at the voice. Yes. That was so bad, wasn't <laughs> no, it? No, that was good. No. And very Philly. No, that was perfect. Because when we hear that song, literally in Philly, every summer, we know it's summertime. <laughs> it is. Almost time for 4th of July. Wah, wah, welcome America. You know who's oh, coming okay. this year? No, no, no. There's some big names. Okay. Break it down. Vanessa Williams. <laughs> Oh, on yeah. Independence Mall. Oh, and then the big concert. We're going to the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Ludacris and Demi Lovato. Get out the way. So many things going on. Great <laughs> events all over the city. Great concerts. Great music. Literally something for everyone. It sounds like get in on Wawa Welcome America. It's one of my favorite times of the year in Philadelphia. Shout out to Hoagie Day. Our first guest is a living lesson on how to successfully blend culture and community. Nikisha Bailey is a community-driven entrepreneur, entertainment executive, and philanthropist with a lifelong commitment to music. Billboard magazine has labeled her a power player two years in a row, and her advocacy in the music space continues with her roles in multiple organizations. However, it's the addition and success of Nikisha's other passion, coffee, that adds to the many things that make her truly remarkable. Her win-win coffee bar has become one of Philadelphia's most renowned coffee institutions and community spaces. And so we just want to know how she does it all. You have so many things going on. What do you do first in the morning? (laughs) I wash my face, brush my teeth, and take my dog for a walk. Okay, that's fair. And then which of your jobs do you focus on after that? Yes, please. I normally start with win-win. So I'll do that for like the first 90 minutes and then I'll focus on the things that I do in music. And then it's kind of a mix and match. I live off of a to-do list, so I kind of just separate my tasks into different sectors of my life and chip away. Justin, I actually think that is a beyond great question because in the season of gigging and hustling, I find that it's fascinating that you are excelling in two different industries. So yeah, this is also kind of like a lesson in that moment. I know you, I'm like, as Justin was asking that question, you were answering, I was like, yeah, her to-do list. Is it a dry erase board? Is it on her phone? Is it an app? Like, how do you do all of this? I like old school pen and paper because then it gives me satisfaction when I can cross things off and I can clearly see like what part of Nikisha has to do what for what sector of my life. Tell us about Win-Win. I know it's closed for renovation now. It's become a storied coffee shop and it's much more than a coffee shop. Where is it going? And and tell us why and how you started it. So Win-Win, my partner and I acquired in 2019, which is really when I first started putting down roots in Philly. I lived in New York for a long time, worked in the music industry. This is why we don't know each other. I was like, why don't I know this woman? Okay. okay. <laughs> my best friend who I, I run the business with was always just that one friend that was like, in order to really have anything as a black woman, like you have to own it. You have to have equity. Like it has to be something that you can control. 
And so we were either going to do a coffee shop or a Mexican restaurant, but Philly's pretty competitive with Mexican mm-hmm. <laughs> restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can make like a good homemade quesadilla, but that's about it. And so we decided to, to do the coffee shop and we were voted one of the best new bars in Philly under new ownership, had a bunch of great accolades from the city. We really became like a safe space for creatives as well as our patients who would come in every day because it was really about community and allowing people to come into our space and feel like home. And we would host a bunch of different creative events, panels, and, you know, just do whatever we could to, to make it feel like a second home for people that were our patrons. We are moving to a new uh, location in Kensington. Um, oh, nice. All right. During the pandemic, we got into coffee roasting and distribution. I feel constantly insane that I'm Philadelphia's first Black woman-like coffee roaster and distributor. We, you know, we were forced to shut our doors for a while because of the pandemic. And my brain was just like, well, what else can we do to, one, keep our doors open, but to keep the branding going? And that's when my partner and I began researching the coffee industry, further learned the gross inequities in the coffee industry when it comes to ownership and supply chain. That's a crop that comes from Black and brown countries, but their Black and brown countries see the least amount of revenue, and you don't really see Black people participating in the ownership side. And so it really has been just learning as we go along. I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of people in my network who work in music who also work in coffee, which I found to be quite surprising. Mm. And so really the past two years, we've been scaling to be a full-blown coffee roaster and distributor. Is it mail order? How's it going? Order online currently, Women Deck Coffee. Uh, we're working on getting into a few of the larger B2B spaces in Philadelphia. If you're ever in New York at Warner Music Group, for some odd reason, they serve out coffee. Nice. Wow. Looking to get into Whole Foods. <laughs> so let me ask Nakisha, because now I need to know all about you, the things that we don't know, the things that aren't in your bio. What's your Philadelphia story? Like, why were we so lucky to get you? Because like you said, you came here in 2019. I came to Philadelphia and I loved it immediately. It's a very black city. I think it's actually, it's one of the blackest cities in the U.S. But I also noticed the extremes. It's definitely like a tale of two cities. Mm -hmm. It's the largest, poorest, blackest city. You know, throughout my career, I've I've been somewhat of a disruptor, someone who kind of challenges the status quo. And I wanted to make a way in our way or opportunities for people that look like me. And I felt like really at home doing that because I saw a lot of faces that resemble me where in New York is incredible because you have all different walks of life. You have people from different countries, different languages. And I feel like growing up in the Midwest, because I'm from St. Louis, living in New York was like a big culture shock because I was like, wait, there's other types of Black people. You know, I lived there for such a long time. I wanted something different. I wanted something new. And I was coming to Philadelphia often. And I just fell in love with the city. The people are incredible. The culture here is incredible. And I feel like it's one of those places where you can make genuine connections with people. That is so true. That is my story. It's awesome too. The music scene is also incredible. So tell us about your role in the music scene. Like, what do you do? I moved to New York. I started interning at a bunch of record labels. I ended up getting an internship at Atlantic Records about 10 years ago. I worked at Def Jam. I worked at Universal. I worked at Republic, and then uh, I left Atlantic in September of last year as I made it to vice president. And wow. I was like, okay, there has to be something more. I wanted to do something more. I wanted to challenge myself, and I wanted to kind of have autonomy because in the last year, they were trying to bring people back to the office. You know, that work from home was getting mm-hmm. kind of taken away, and I kind of mm-hmm. thrived during that, being able to find time for myself and what I really wanted to do. 
But A&R operations, you're the like the business side of A&R. So you work closely with A&Rs and helping artists bring like the musical vision to life. So I would handle negotiating contracts, splits, royalties, making sure that we're delivering the correct files and everything on time to like Apple and Spotify. So just kind of making sure the whole like logistics process of making an album was on time, delivered correctly from start to finish. I'd also manage the budget so I'd make sure people weren't overspending and be the person to tell you you had to stop spending. And currently I work as the GM for an emerging markets record label called The Bot Collective. I am part owner in the company. Wait, say that slower and again, because I need more more people and business owners to hear that. Say that again. You work in the company, you, you own a part of the company. It's really great because I've never worked with emerging markets and we focus on women and underserved youth where we go to these different markets like Ghana, Malawi, Egypt, Lebanon, and we host mm. these songwriting camps and find talent in these different countries and really run them through songwriting classes, production classes, provide them with like artist care, mental health. We provide them with like internet if they don't have internet. And, you know, we've been successful in finding this artist named Rosalind, who's about to go on tour with Ed Sheeran. I've never worked with international artists. I've only worked in the major system. So it's been just incredible working with artists from different countries because music is worldwide. And it, it felt great to like do something I hadn't really done before. I sit on the board for the Recording Academy as well. So I do a lot of programming for the Recording Academy. It sounds like, Nikisha, you are literally one of these people living out your dreams. And even though these dreams might not necessarily be in the same industry, do you feel that way? And with that being said, where do you go from here? I realized a few years ago, and I think especially during the pandemic, that I like to do different things mm-hmm. and life doesn't have to be you go to college, you get a job, you stay in that job 30 years, you retire. There's a whole lot of things that could happen in between that. And so I just become passionate in doing things that inspire me, doing things that I've never done before that I, I want to do. And I definitely believe a person can lead multiple lives in one lifetime. Are you happy with the stuff you're doing? Yes. Incredibly happy. Sometimes I do want more time for myself. Particularly ah. um, in this year, I've been on like a health and, and wellness journey. I've lost about 65 pounds. Congratulations. Awesome. Yes. You and Justin. Oh, you go, Justin? It's hard work. It's hard it's work, hard. but it pays off. And it's, you got to be consistent and show up. And you're fighting genes. Like this is not about, yes. it's not about like laziness. <laughs> you know, some people have fat genes. Some people don't. Some of us have I to fight them our entire lives wholeheartedly believe that because there's no reason I should eat like half a bagel and gain three right. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, dang. Then I was about to, my next question was, I'm about to feel real bad because I'm like, well, now that you said that you are not taking time for yourself, but you are living in this fine city. I'm curious if you're, you're going out and eating in Philly because I mean, by now I know you've discovered that it is the food capital of like the yeah, world. There's so right. much good food in Philly. I am a sucker for Caribbean food, Jamaican food in particular. Ooh, what's your spot? Uh, Kingston 11, which is in like West-ish Philly. Adding it to the list. I also love barbecue. Angry Deacons on Spring Garden is amazing. I'm still not sure what my favorite cheesesteak place is. What do you guys think? Are you a chicken? To- what is you got? First of all, chicken, beef, tofu, beef. whatever. I've also seen seafood, which I've been intrigued by. Oh, my God. Uh, me and the me and no. well, my key da da boo. Me because Justin hates that I am. I am seafood first, honey. 
seafood okay. cheesesteaks for me. <laughs> it, I will say, was Questlove making one on like Good Day or something? It looked well, like good. a salmon cheesesteak because oh, the yes, salmon cheesesteak. It did look good. It, I need to yeah. taste it. I love it. It's, it's like you said, it's Philly and it's just the food is never ending. And I think that folks that are not from the city appreciate it even more so than the folks that do. And I think that's a, one of the beautiful charms of the city. I know you've seen that as well, Nikisha, in all the ways. Absolutely. So yeah. when does Win Win reopen? So right now, September, October, it's definitely been a learning process too. Like this is an entirely new space that we're building out. And again, I've never had to deal with the architect, designer and contractor and developer all at one time. And so that's been like a learning process, but it's been incredible because I'm excited to see the new space come to fruition. Plus you have like amazing partnerships, Goldman Sachs, PayPal, like, PayPal, yeah, like who, what your- coffee houses. <laughs> it's really just knocking on doors and, Taking requests and making sure people keep us in the front of their mind when they think of coffee. I'm beyond proud of everything you've done in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of work. A lot of people can't take one or two of these things and master. And you've mastered a lot of them at one time. Mm -hmm. It's very incredible. It's Mm -hmm. still a lot of work to do. But like you said, when I'm happy, I, I thoroughly enjoy what I'm doing. And I think that makes a big difference. Being at like a smaller label that works aligned with my mission and personal ethos, working in Philadelphia, being in the coffee industry, which I've just found a new zest for and trying to right the wrongs of the world, which is also something that I guess I, I like to take on, just believing that one person can make a difference and I can make a difference if I consistently show up. What's up, y'all? This is your boy, Adam Blackstone. Don't forget to check me out on Love & Grit Podcast because I am Philly. While Philadelphia boasts of being the home to many of the dopest MCs, the undercurrent of rhymes and prose is shared with some of the most world-renowned poets to ever put pen to paper. Denise Froman is the latest and greatest addition to this community. This Pew and Baldwin Emerson Fellow frequently explores the complexities of language, lineage, queerness, and the colonial relationship between the United States and Puerto Rico. And if you're wondering how good she is at it, well, I think performances at places like the White House, Lincoln Center, also garnering 10 million views, and maybe being featured in publications like Elle Magazine, BuzzFeed, and Cosmopolitan speak for themselves. However, Denise is not just here for the accolades. She's also here for her community as she has led workshops for adults and young people and is constantly creating safe spaces for teens. I was just thinking it's not like one of those things you hear you're like when I grow up I want to be a poet Yeah, because there's no like pathway. Yeah I think we don't inherit the idea that being a writer can be a career particularly a, a poet but I think over the last several decades, there have been the versioning of the spoken word movement and so many new pathways that young people are taking and the ways that in which we're respecting artists, I think more than when I first started out. So no, the answer is absolutely not. Being a poet, being a writer was the furthest thing from my imagination growing up, for sure. I was a so, hooper. Right. So you play ball, right? Yeah, I played. Yeah. I played. I'm a little washed up now. What position? <laughs> I'm a point guard. I don't believe you washed up. These knees will tell you different. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, when did you when did you find your voice? Uh, I think finding your voice is an iterative process. It's almost like coming out. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like it's not something that happens one time. And so I think there are a lot of moments in my life that I could probably point to of stepping a little bit further into my voice. Probably the, the big moment that shifted things for me was I was getting ready to graduate high school 
I was getting ready to go to college on an athletic scholarship, and I joined some friends at to go to the New Eureka Poets Cafe on a Friday night. Mm. Now, for those who don't know, the New Eureka Poets Cafe is a legendary space where, where poets and musicians have gathered, particularly in the Puerto Rican community and in other communities of color for, for decades, since the 70s and the 80s. This is in New so York, correct? Yeah, that's where I grew up. And so stumbling in there, I, I really, it shifted. I mean, when we talk about like the seismic shifts that happens in the body, there was something that really shifted for me. And I think what got unlocked was this misconception about what poems could do, what they were, how they sounded. I really thought I had to shape shift my voice, that I could not tell these stories in my own way on a microphone. I had all these you know, misconceptions about poetry and stepping into that cafe on a Friday night to a packed audience. I was sitting on the top of the speaker. That's how crowded it was and watching poets who looked like me and sounded like me and honestly sounded like the people I grew up around was really liberating. It was really liberating. And I think when we talk about, I mean, there's so much to say, but when we talk about creating opportunities for young people to be exposed to the arts, I'm really interested in debunking myths about what it means to be a painter, what it means to be a dancer, what it means to be a poet and, and unlocking the potential in in younger audiences so that they don't step into those misconceptions and inherit those misconceptions that I did. And, and honestly, is very common that many mm-hmm. of us have. That would be the first moment that was like, wait, this sounds like my neighborhood. It felt like mm-hmm. home. Yeah. And at that time, I was 18, 19 years old. So okay. what are you going through at 18, 19 years old? Everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah, to you, everything. So yeah. Everything, yeah. right? Yeah. The world yeah. is, you dramatic know. Dramatic as it can be. Nobody understands me. That's right. That's right. It's worse <laughs> than the ultimatum, the queer version. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Okay. And so really having a space to put all my questions, to put all of my insecurities In some ways, I think poetry is an invitation to fall in love with your voice. And for those of us who are convinced that we should not tell our stories, that our stories are not important. I mean, that's how I felt. Like, why me? What do I have to say that's so important? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just the poems on the stage that I was attracted to. It really wasn't that. It was more so the idea that I could share my truth and be held. That was seismic Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. That was seismic to me, you know, to be in this community. And I needed it. You have a long list of accolades. And at the top is an amazing poem published by the New York Times during the pandemic. What was it like to have your piece? It talks about basketball. So I want to talk about the piece, too, because it's so ingrained in your life. But what's it like to be published in the New York Times as a poet? Yeah, it was really special. It was really, really cool. I have been working on a series of basketball sonnets for a long time, and I had really spent most of my life thinking that that was a really different chapter in my life, that poetry and basketball were were separate parts of my life, and they really didn't talk to each other. And I think in the last couple of years, I really started to look at that and see it much differently, actually, that they were intertwined really deeply, and that Mm -hmm. actually, I think that basketball taught me how to be a poet. Because basketball is really about what happens when preparation meets your imagination. It's Mm -hmm. about angles. It's about spacing. How can I get from here to there in the least amount of steps? Poetry is the same thing. We talk about it as the economy of language. How can I get from here to there in the least amount of words? This is going to sound very random, but very Philly too, because this person is very Philly, even though like you, she's not from Philly. 
Marsha Ambrosius. Have you ever heard of her before? Have I heard of Marsha Ambrosius? When we talk about flowetry, we, I could talk to you all day, all night. Right. So I'm just saying, I don't know if you know this, but y'all have similar stories, right? Now, number one, y'all are both writers. But did you know that y'all both have semi-professional basketball backgrounds? Now that you say it, I'm feeling like I may have heard this a long time ago, but refresh my memory. Yeah, because that's how Marsha and Natalie met the two members of Floetry. They met because they played against each other. And oh, Lee, I didn't know yes, that. And Lee, yes, yes. And I can't remember if it was college or high school. And I don't know, you were just talking and I was like, wow, I wish. That's cool. Yes, in a whole Philly moment. Speaking of Philly, I'm curious to know your Philly story because you are a New York girl that moved to Philadelphia. And I want to know what was the moment that you knew the city was for you? Immediately when I got here. I used to be a Sixers fan in high school because okay. I loved AI. I loved oh, AI. Uh, right. Come on. I loved <laughs> AI. I really Ooh, did. I wish you could have been here then. Ugh. Eric, I loved watching. Eric Snow. They went, uh. what I was going to say. Yes. That was a fun uh, time. It, that was a really fun time in Philly sports. There was like My, a lot of energy around it. A lot of energy. And so I had visited Philly in high school. My dad had taken me to see some basketball games here. Mm. Um, and I never really envisioned moving here. But essentially, after college, I played in Puerto Rico professional basketball for a season. I came back home. I had no idea what to do. I had an English degree in creative writing. What do you do with that? <laughs> and so I uh, had no idea. So I had just gotten home and I, I got a phone call from a former teacher of mine, Chris Lehman, who is the founder of SLA. Wow. And he called me. He's my former teacher and basketball coach from New York. And I said, Denise, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. He said, listen, you should come to Philly. I, I got a job waiting for you. I think it'd be a good fit. Yeah. And so I moved to Philly in 10 days. I packed up all my stuff. And Where'd you move? What part? What part? West. Okay. And I've been here almost 15 years now. I never left. And I felt like it was home immediately. I felt like it, it was a place for me to grow as an artist. I mean, I grew up in New York City. That city raised me as a kid. Philly raised me as an adult. I was 22 yeah. When I moved here, I was really young. My first apartment was here. The first time I signed a check was here. I mean, there were so many firsts, so many, so many moments coming of age here. And I felt I became a full time artist in the city. I don't know hmm. that I would have been able to make that leap in any hmm. other city but Philly. That's special. It's really, really special. I have so much love for Philly. This is home. I was working nine to five and doing communications in the city. And I was I was also attending all the open mics and ingraining myself in the poetry community here. And Philly is a city where if you're passionate about something, you can find other people who will make that happen with you. Yes. You will find, there's a lot of energy in the city and there's a lot of not only love, but obviously so much history in the arts and culture scene in this city. This is a city that loves poetry. This is a city I'm, that loves music. Come on, the city of Black Ice, man. And shout out to Just Greg. And you were down with them as well, right? The Philly Youth That's Poetry. Right. And this is the city of Ursula Rucker. And Ursula Rucker. Excuse me. Excuse we love. me. First, first, first comes the queen. First, first, first comes the queen. We Ursula. have several queens in the city. Yes, and yes, and yes. To, me, to me, the Black women poets 
in my eyes, they are the leaders yes. of the city and, and, yes. and they have made a space for me. And I, I just have so much love and appreciation for how passionate they are to build That's community. So and so my love for Philly runs really deep. This is a uh, blue collar city. This mm. is a city that isn't trying to be pretentious, that doesn't care what you're wearing. It cares what you have to say. Mm. And I love that. There is something really authentic about Philly. Philly's not trying to be anybody else. Philly's really not. Philly got the juice. And so, I mean, you I got all the words, Denise. You got all the words, Denise. And I mean it. I really do. I get it. What do you have coming up? The Pulitzer well, or what? The, <laughs> I will say we talk about Philly. I definitely it took me a minute to learn to integrate saying poppy store. Y'all don't say that in New York. I thought you No, we say bodega. Oh, that's right. Y'all say, well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, they, they, we're going, they're going to the poppy store. Yeah, yeah got, I love the poppy store because to me, that's like, you can but of course. Everything. Yes. But of course. Can I just tell you? It's, I'm sorry. Side note. I was at the poppy store the other day and I had tested some lipstick out on my hand and poppy behind the counter was like, he grabbed some Vaseline and a, and a handkerchief and he started. I said, listen, only in the poppy you. store. He, he got, got me. He was like, he I got, got you. you. And that's Philly. <laughs> Very Philly, very Philly. Um, yeah, I just premiered my one woman show in Philly. Congratulations. Esto Congratulations. no tiene nombre. Thank you so much. Where are you performing it? And tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. It just just finished our debut. We premiered it at the neighborhood house in Old City to a sold out audience. We did three shows. And this is a project that is the most vulnerable project that I've ever created, that I've ever been a part of. It is a my first one woman show, and it centers the oral histories of Latina lesbian elders and women over 50. And so the show is really a love letter to queer Latinx elders. Over 50. It's fascinating. Yeah. And so the show is, is really a series of vignettes and portraits of these elders that is not only exploring the contributions and the organizing that Cuban, Puerto Rican, and Mexican lesbian women were part of from the 1960s. So we're talking pre-Stonewall through the 80s. And several of the women that I interviewed or that I highlighted in the show are from Philly. Actually, my first interview was with Ada Bello, who lived in Philly for decades, was integral to the LGBT movement here, and founded the first chapter in Philly of the Daughters of Belitis. That even tells you how far back we're going. We're talking about organizing the 60s and the, and the late 50s. And, and tell people real quick, inform the Daughters of Belitis. And so the Daughters of Belitis was a national organization. It was the first lesbian human rights organization in the country. And Ada Bello was organizing with other gay and lesbian people against Frank Rizzo, then police chief Frank Rizzo, who was incredibly hostile to not only LGBT community, but also the black community. And and, right. I mean, there's a long list of human rights abuses. And Ada Bello was part of that. She specifically was part of organizing against the police raids that were happening at Rusty's down on Walnut Street in Center Mm. City. And she tells the story of how in 1968, Stonewall happens in 1969. So this is one of the precursors to Stonewall, right? You know, what's Um, really interesting is how much influence Philadelphia's LGBTQ community had before. I mean, talk about the reminders going back even further than that. And then 
These are stories that people don't know about. But glued, but glued, because I'm hoping that people, they rewind this and they hear certain words and they go, let me, like, I'm like, Rusty's. I never heard of Rusty's. Let me, yeah. I want to, I want to know about, like, this is fascinating. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't know about these stories until I was doing this project. And so several of the women that I interviewed were connected or were rooted in Philly. Ada Bayo was one of them. And unfortunately, she passed away two months before the premiere of the show. She was supposed to be there, but she, her story is featured in addition to other stories from women from LA to New York and Phoenix. And so really, Esto No Tiene Nombre was a huge leap, even though it felt like a natural progression for me. But it it's a show that's not only about these public contributions, because not every elder is an activist. I'm interviewing chefs, barbers, community members, and mothers and daughters. And so the show is really about the interiority of these women. How do we create home in a world that doesn't think we deserve home? I mean, we talk about love and grit. Esto No Tiene Nombre is a show about love and grit. It is about the love for your community and about the determination to defend your people because you can't do one without the other. There is no fighting to have your community be respected and to have dignity. And we're seeing it now. We're with all these book bans and the, the these attacks on diversity and in schools. It's so and, crazy this is going on. It really and it's is. wild to do this show and to hear an elder say, oh, right. So decades ago in Texas, there was a sodomy law that applied to lesbians and they took it off the books and then they put it back to hear how these women fought reminds me not only my gratitude for the battles that they fought, but also it creates a map for me. A lot of times we don't know, understand the history, but people are just moving and moving. And it's like the history That's just right. provides you a whole nother blueprint. Yeah, you know, it repeats it, itself. You it know? is repeating. Right. If we don't right. know about it, we can't move forward. That's mm-hmm. right. So, so yeah. Esto no tiene nombre, which means this doesn't have a name. The title borrows itself from a Latina lesbian magazine of the same name in the 90s. And Esto no tiene nombre, this doesn't have a name, really, to me, points to the illegibility of our desire and also how that is a threat to the larger structures in the larger world that thinks in order to grant you rights, they must understand you. See, I don't think you have to be understood to have the right to exist. Mm. I don't. And Mm. so Esto No Tiene Nombre is a love letter. It is about the illegibility of how we move in the world that might be different than a heteronormative society. And it's about a world where we're not compromising our Latino, our Latinx, our Puerto Rican and Cuban heritage with our sexuality. And these are the women that refuse to compromise those things and found love and fell in love in their 60s. I mean, there's so many stories of love and family and home. My director is a Pew Fellow as well, Alex Torra. He's a Cuban director and also co-creator. And there was just so many, just it was a it was a labor of love. It really was a labor of love. And I felt like there was a lot of healing in the room. And for me, this was a show that stretched me to the brim. I cried a lot writing this play, but I also healed. I also healed a lot too, because now I know exactly where I come from. And these are not ancestors. I mean, Ada is. But these women, these are living histories. They are right here. And I hope it inspires other people to understand the history of Philly and also the history of the elders that have paved the way. Philly was incredibly instrumental to the civil rights move to many. Oh, to many movements. Yeah, to many. Can we still see the show? I'm going to keep developing the show and I hope to perform it soon. That's the goal. The goal is to perform it again. Oh, just yes, yeah, yeah. So all of that, all of that is on the table for us. Okay. And, and okay. this is not the end of Esto. Esto is just getting started and is in the world. And I'm really excited. And so 
you can follow me on Instagram and I'll be posting about future shows, but that's definitely in the works. I told you, Justin, people who move to, to Philly, they love it differently. It's deep. But, uh, yeah, it's deep. We see you. It's like we and, see. And you. I, I love the way that people who grew up in the city love Philly. That makes me happy to see, you know, because there's <laughs> levels. Very casual. Sometimes, yeah. Very like... love. There's levels. <laughs> you know, there's there's levels. It is. It's like you're casual, but don't you bet not say nothing. It's like your mama. The city raised me in a lot of ways, and I I wouldn't be who I was if I didn't live in the city. I wouldn't be the artist that I am. Mm-mm, no way. Dang, Justin, that was like very inspiring. The Inc- both of those conversations. I have goosebumps from both ladies who are just so passionate and happy with what they're doing. And they're working yeah. hard. It's not yeah. like they're doing easy work. They're happy and working hard, which is just really incredible for Philadelphia and for both of them. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm just saying the score is two to zero because I told you people that are not from Philly, we just love this town like no other. It really <laughs> is interesting. And you've been trying to prove that point to me along with seafood cheesesteaks as long as I <laughs> Which was also proven this episode. Yes. And you know what? You're always right. You win. You're always right. (laughs) Okay. I don't have anything else to say. My day is made.